on today, God has given me the title, Building Blocks. Um, and I don't know, I, I'm, I'm feeling like this might be my last sermon in this inheritance series, but I don't know. I'm going to see which way that the Lord goes. But for, for those that don't know, we've been doing this series on inheritance, and we've been talking about all of the ways, all of the benefits that come with serving God. All of the benefits that come from being a king's kid, you know, from from just God hearing your prayer, from God watching over your parent. Even if you don't heal, he's still good. Like you said, just all of the things, just give, keeping you in your sound mind while you're going through. So we've just been talking about how just God is just so good, how he's this, this never-ending well of, of goodness and of blessing. And so as, as I go into 2 Samuel, um, I just want you to know that God is trying to build something in your life. For my visitors in the back, you know, you see that this is a small church. I don't count it as a coincidence that you're here today. Um, God is trying to build something in your life, too. Right? Right? Didn't know you was coming, but this word is for you anyway. He's trying to build something in your life. Um, and so by the time we get to, so we've been going through this book in 2 Samuel. And so now that we are in the seventh chapter, David has been through so much. He has been fighting. He has been warring. Uh, there, there's, there are all kind of forces trying to work against him, taking the throne. He has spent seven years in his life in the city of Hebron, waiting to take his rightful place as king. And so by the time we get to the seventh chapter, the word says that King David was settled in his palace and the Lord kept him safe. From all his enemies. Amen. All his enemies. And so then David turns to the prophet Nathan, Nathan and he says, Here I am living in the house built of cedar, but God's covenant box is kept in a tent. So in this chapter, it was placed on David's heart to build a physical house for the Lord. David had recognized all of the good that God had done for him, and he wanted to repay God by building a physical house for him. And so here's my first thought this Sunday for you all. Sometimes we set out to do one thing. Sometimes we set out to do one thing when God has planned to do something great. And I'm so glad today that I'm talking to church folks because I want y'all to understand David set out to do something for the Lord, right? We ain't just talking about you set out to do your own thing and just something worldly, but he set out to do something for the Lord. And even what he thought he was going to do, it was something great. So the first step, the first building block is to set out to do something for the Lord in your heart. That's the first step. Right. Sometimes we spend a whole bunch of time trying to figure out what to do. Don't try to figure out what to do. The first step is figure out who to do it for. Amen. Right. Amen. Whatever it is, Amen. whatever it is, don't try to figure out what to do. Try to figure out who to do it for. Amen. So the first step is to set out to do something for God in your heart. And that's my question to y'all today. Have you set out in your heart to do something to God as a for God as a family? Or if you're not married as an individual, 
or as a minister, as a minister, or as a mother, as a mother, have you said out in your heart, God, I'm going to do this for you? That's the first step. That's the, that's the first, that's the first building block. And so here's the second one. And so God, throughout this whole series, God has been telling me to stress the operation of the spirit. And so the next, the next step, the next block is that David just doesn't go off of pure instinct. When you set out to do something in your heart, don't trust yourself with it. Don't trust because you're going to mess it up. Don't trust yourself with it. Trust God with it. Right? Trust God with it. So David doesn't go off of pure instinct. He consults Nathan the prophet. So many times in my life, I have had this idea to do something for God. Most recently, I was going to do this blog, right? And I was writing something every week. I was doing something every week. And, and people was texting me and they was telling me how I was blessing them. And all of a sudden, I started feeling overwhelmed by the work that I was doing for the Lord. And I just said, okay, God, I'm just about to take a break for this. Because I believe when you do something for the Lord, it doesn't feel like this burden hanging around your neck. Right. Because the word says that his burden is easy. Right. His yoke is light. Whatever he has set for you to do, it it becomes like second nature. So I've been having this thing like I want my Holy Ghost to be on automatic. Right. I want to do something. And that's what happens. A lot of times we set out to do something and then we have to try to do it. We have to try to be consistent. We have to try to do right. Right. But when it's in your heart, you just find yourself doing it. Like, uh, I, I would relate it to a lot of times, you know how when you first get saved, and you turn around, and you don't even remember when you stopped cussing? You weren't trying to. Right? You weren't trying to. All of a sudden, you just stopped. Nothing that you did. And so David doesn't go off of, he doesn't go off pure instinct. But he consults Nathan the prophet. And so as I was writing this, I just said, God, I just thank you for faith and hearing. I thank you for speaking to your people. And then I want you to, I want you to, I want you to watch and see what the prophet says to to David. Nathan answered, do whatever you have in mind because the Lord is with you. And I want y'all to understand that when you set out in your heart to do something for God, whatever it is, right, God is going to be with you. He might tweet that thing along the way, or he might tell you, no, nah, that ain't quite it. But in order for him to tweak it, in order for him to steer you in the right direction, you got to go to him and you got to consult him. A lot of times we set out in our heart to do something and we don't even ask God, God, am I doing this right? Right? We set out in our heart to get married. Sometimes stop and say, God, am I doing this thing right? Sometimes you raising your children and you making decisions about what you should do with them. Sometimes stop and say, God, am I doing this right? Sometimes as a pastor or a minister, right, you 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 speaking over people's life or you leading people in a certain way. Sometimes you got to stop and say, am I doing this thing right? And you will find that when you stop to ask God, are you doing it right? God will say to you. Do whatever you have in mind because the Lord is with you. God want to see that you are willing to consult him. He want to see that you ain't just going off on your own trying to make stuff happen. He want to see that you're willing to seek wise counsel. 
And so I threw these in here. This is not the beat. This is not the meat of the sermon. But I just threw this in here because, you know, I do. I truly believe that this is one of the issues in the church today is that, number one, people don't seek wise counsel. And it's not totally their fault because a lot of people, a lot of people don't have anywhere to go because the people that are supposed to be leading them don't hear from the Lord for themselves. They haven't stopped to consult the Lord. But Proverbs 15 and 22 tells us without counsels, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember that sermon on being established? Right? Proverbs 20 and 18 tells us every purpose is established by counsel. Every purpose. Right? How many of y'all are, are, are so content with doing stuff on your own? Right? You so content with making up your mind and saying, this is what I'm going to do. Even as a husband, even as the head of my household, it would be unwise for me not to go to my wife and say, baby, what do, what do you think about this? Even if God leads me to go in another direction after I seek her counsel, it would be unwise for me to do that. Right? Jesus says, it like, it, you are a fool if you don't weigh the cost. When you follow God, you got you to gotta weigh the cost. You got to go in and, and get wise counsel. Thank you, Lord. Proverbs 24 and 3 says, homes are built on the foundation of wisdom and understanding. That's your personal home. That's your church home, right? They are built on the foundation of wisdom and understanding. So David makes up in his mind, I'm going to build a temple for the Lord. David says, it's not right that God has been this good for me and his word has no place to abide. So David is thinking one thing, y'all. He's thinking, I got to build a physical building for the Lord when really and truly the greater thing is God said, I want you to be. I want you to be the place where I reside. You see what I'm saying? You see where I'm going? We set out in our mind to do one thing and God is trying to do something greater. All of this right here is just symbolism. <laughs> All of this that we do, taking that communion, Passing the plate, the praise and worship, the prayer, the laying of hands, all of it is just symbolism for something greater. So that night, right, David goes to the man of God and that night, right, Nathan already told him, go ahead and build a house. But that night, God comes back to Nathan and, and he says, go tell my servant, David, that I say to him, you are not the one to build a temple for me to live in. Right? He says, from the time that I rescued the people of Israel from Egypt until now, I have never lived in a temple. I have traveled around living in a tent. In all my traveling with the people of Israel, I have never asked any of the leaders that I appointed why they had not built me a temple made out of cedar. God says, never have I asked my leaders to build me a house of worship. Why everybody trying to build churches? He says, I've never asked my leaders to build me a church house. Right? So it's not about this. Right? 
God is trying to do something greater. He says, so go tell my servant David that I, the Lord Almighty, say to him, I took you from looking after sheep in the field and made you a ruler of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have defeated all your enemies as you advanced. I will make you as famous as the greatest leaders in the world. I have chosen a place for my people Israel and have settled them there where they will live without being oppressed even anymore. Ever since they entered this land, they have been attacked by violent people, but this will not happen again. I promise to keep you safe from all your enemies and to give you descendants. When you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will make one of your sons king and will keep his kingdom strong. He will be the one to build a temple for me. And I will make sure that his dynasty continues forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him as a father punishes a son. But I will not withdraw my support from him as I did from Saul, whom I removed so that you could be king. You will always have descendants and I will make your kingdom last forever. Your dynasty will never end. Nathan told David everything that God revealed to him. And so we know, we know that Solomon is going to build God a temple. But that still was not it. David had one idea. But God was trying to do something greater. All that I read to you was a description of what Jesus would do. And so sometimes we think it is about us. Sometimes we think it is about our little babies, our kids. Sometimes we think it is about our grandkids when all the time it's always been about Jesus. Sometimes we think it is about the church house or the pastor or the ministers when really God has a greater idea. It's always and always will be about Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Saying a liar, he didn't make my notes go away, but it's all right. Got my backup notes. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. It has always been about Jesus. Right? So we know that David had one idea, but God had a greater idea. Thank you, Lord. So the word tells us that um, the word tells us that David then went into the tent of the Lord's presence and he sat down and he prayed. This is this is second Samuel 7, 18 through 21. It said that he sat down and prayed and he said, sovereign Lord, I'm not worthy of what you have already done for me, nor is my family. Yet you are doing even more. And that's what I want you all to understand that God is always trying to do even more. He says, you have made promises about my descendants in the years to come. And you let man see this. He's talking about Nathan, right? He says, you let man see this. And so that's favor, y'all. That's that's favor that God would have a person 
who can see what is getting ready to happen. So I need y'all to understand how David Harris operate. David wanted to do something for the Lord. He went to seek wise counsel. Wise counsel told him one thing. Wise counsel then came back and said, wait, hold up now. God's still going to do this thing through you, but he's going to do it this way. And David was okay with that. So many times God is trying to build something in our life and we not okay with God rearranging the order that he wants to do it in. We say, now, hold up, God. I thought you were going to do A, B, and C, but you already done went on the F. Like, I wasn't expecting you to do it this way. But David was all right with that. Because David said, whatever you do, I haven't even deserved what you've given me already. And so this person of David, he like, sometimes I'm reading about him and I'm like, I can't stand him. Like, this man is not right. And then other times it's like his heart is so just like ready for God. Hallelujah. So God had told David, basically he told David, Essentially, there's too much war going on here. There's too much war going on here. There's too much pain and suffering here. He say, my son will build a temple, a place of worship for me, and his reign will never end. And so we spend so much time trying to build a life down here. Have you set your mind to build a life for up there? Right? So when God is building stuff in your life, don't get it twisted like, yeah, he wants you to have life and have life more abundantly here. But he essentially, in the end, he's trying to prepare you for there. Right? And so I'm going to end I'm gonna end this, and y'all know that I normally don't read this much, but this word is just so good to me. So I'm going to read this to you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break it down, and then I'm going to be done. So this y'all got to bear through 28 verses of, of Hebrews 9. But it, it, when I, after I read this, then I'll be done. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It says the first covenant had rules for worship and an earthly place for worship as well. The tent was put up, the outer one, which was called the holy place. In it were the lampstand. Y'all with me? In it were the lampstand. That's the light of God. And the table with the bread offered to God. There go your communion, right? Behind the second curtain was the tent called the most holy place. What was behind the most holy place? There was a gold altar for the burning of incense. That's your praise. And the covenant box, right? All covered with gold containing the jar with the manna in it. That's God's provision. And Aaron's stick. That's God's deliverance. And two stone tablets. That's God's word. And y'all remember, we already done did a we already did a sermon on the covenant box. So what was that? That what was in there behind that curtain was the presence of God. Above the box were the winged creatures representing God's presence, and their wings spread over the place where sins were forgiven. But now is not the time to explain everything in detail. This is how those things have been arranged. The priests go into the outer tent every day to perform their duties. But only the high priest goes into the inner tent. And he does so only once a year. He takes with him blood, which he offers to God on behalf of himself and for the sins which the people have committed 
without knowing they were sinning. So I want to go back to this. Right? So every Sunday, every Sunday I step into this church. This is the outer tent. I step into this church. Y'all step into this church. I come in here to do my duty, to preach the word, to help usher in the presence of God in order to help you get to the inside of the tent where the presence of God resides. Right? And in the old time, I would have had to go in before y'all and offer some type of sacrifice so that God would even forgive y'all sin. But what I'm reading in Hebrew is telling us none of that is necessary anymore because our high priest, Jesus, has already gone and done that. And he has offered for us a one in a lifetime offering for the remission of our sins. Right? Without Jesus, somebody would have to go for us each and every year, right? But he's done it for all time. He's done it for all time. The Holy Spirit clearly teaches from all these arrangements that the way into the most holy place has not been opened as long as the outer tent stands still. The Holy Spirit clearly teaches that all of these arrangements, that the way into the most holy place has not been open as long as the outer tent stands still. So what does that mean, Pastor? What that means is God, when when Jesus did what he did, he did away with the outer tent. He did away with somebody having to usher you in. He did away with somebody else having to do it for you. He gave you direct access to the inner part of the tent. So what you saying, I want to go back to what God told David. God told David, I have never asked my leaders to build a church. God don't need this right here. Right? He don't need this right here. And and, and, and I'm not talking about church, and I'm not talking about forsaking the fellowship. What I'm saying is, he don't need all the pretending parts of church. He don't need all the pretending parts of the church. The Lord said, well, two or three are gathered in my name. He didn't say what the building had to look like. He just said, if I can get two or three people to enter my presence, that's where I will be. That's where my word will be. That's where my deliverance will be. That's where my provision will be, right? All them things that was on the inside of the tent, if he can get two or three people who are called by his name in one spot, that have set their heart to do something for him. He said, that's where I be. He said, as long as the outer tent stands, there's no access to the inner tent. So basically he's saying, as long as churches keep pretending, there ain't going to be no access to the real power. Amen. <laughs> this is an illustration which points to the present time. It means that the offerings and the animal sacrifices and the collection play and the microphones and the keyboards presented to God cannot make the worshipers hard perfect. Since they only have to do with food and drink and various purification ceremonies, these are all outward rules which apply only until the time when God establishes a new order. But Christ has already come as the high priest of good things that are already here. The tent in which he serves is greater 
is greater and more perfect. It is not a tent made by human hands. That is, it is not a part of the created world. When Christ went through the tent and entered once and for all into the most holy place, he did not take the blood of goats and bulls to offer as a sacrifice. Rather, he took his own blood and obtained eternal salvation for us. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of burnt calves are sprinkled on the people who are ritually unclean, and this purifies them by taking away their ritual impurity. Since this is true, how much more is accomplished by the blood of Christ? Through the eternal spirit, he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice to God. His blood will purify our consciousness from useless rituals so that we may serve the living God. How many of y'all have set out to do something? How many of y'all are following worthless rituals? And I'm going back to David. I ain't even talking about the worldly stuff. I'm talking about how many of y'all are trying to live for God instead of just doing it? How many of y'all are trying? Like, I'm like, so many times Christians be like, I'm trying. I'm trying. That's worthless. You can't. You can't in your own power. You can't. You can't. You got to surrender to the Lord. First of the first thing you got to do, you got to ask yourself, why am I really doing this? Why are you really here this Sunday? Right? Why are you really here this Sunday? Is it because grandmama? Is it how you grew up? Do you really believe? Right? How many of us are going through worthless rituals? It won't work. For this reason, Christ is the one who arranges a new covenant so that those who have been called by God may receive eternal blessings that God has promised. You can't get your stuff if you don't go through Jesus. Try as you might. Try as you might. You can't get your stuff. You don't have any access. You don't have any access unless you go through Jesus. I'm sorry, y'all. This is me this Sunday. This is me. This can be done because there has been a death which sets people free from the wrongs they did while the first covenant was in force. In a case of a will, it is necessary to prove that the person who made it has died. For a will means nothing while the person who made it is alive. It comes into effect only after death. Right? That is why the first covenant came into effect only with the use of blood. Something had to die. God did something great. He said, I'm going to give you your stuff and I'm still going to let my son live. Right? Before then, something had to die. You got to die. But now God said you can get your stuff and live. All them sacrifices you making, trying to do it your way. God said, Jesus said, I already made the sacrifice. You can get your stuff. First Moses came to the people. That all the commandments set forth in the law. He took the blood of bulls and goats, mixed it with water, and sprinkled it on the book of the law. And all the people using a sprig of hyssop and some red wool. 
He said, this is the blood which seals the covenant that God has commanded to obey. How many of y'all, the, the Ten Commandments ain't doing it for you? What, what you mean by that? How many of y'all have tried to live the Ten Commandments and have failed? How many of y'all, how many of y'all read, read the Ten Commandments and then all of a sudden you feel the presence of God just coming to room? Ten Commandments don't do it for me. I don't read the Ten Commandments and feel the spirit of the Lord. Right? God says, I'm going to do something greater. In the same way, Moses also sprinkled the blood on the sacred tent and over all the things in worship. If the presence of the Lord is not in the house, the house is worthless. Right? So Moses would sprinkle the blood of these animals on the tent to, to, to represent the covering. But now it's the blood of Jesus. It's the presence and the person of Jesus that should be resting on these church houses. And it's not. And that's why people not getting delivered. That's why they're not getting their stuff. Indeed, according to the law, almost everything is purified by blood and sins are forgiven only if blood is poured out. Those things, so all that I just read to you, they are only copies of the heavenly original. But the heavenly things themselves require a much better sacrifice. For Christ did not go into a holy place made by human hands, which was a copy of the real one. He went into heaven itself. Where now, so y'all know that, you know, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Y'all know that? So when he went into the heavenly place, he opened it up. He made it possible for the things in heaven to come down. That's what you feel when you feel that touch, when you come to the altar and you feel that touch. That's the things of heaven coming down. If you sit in the church and you don't feel the things of heaven coming down, something wrong, the things of heaven should be coming down. He went into heaven itself when he now appears on your behalf. So I need y'all to imagine that when you're standing in the, at the altar, Jesus is in heaven on the right hand of God. And he's looking down. He's like, you see my son, Jamantra? Pull some of this out on him. He's up there talking to the father. That's why when you pray, you pray deep, like you pray in Jesus name. Because you talking to Jesus and Jesus say, okay, God, they called on me. Pour some of that out on them. That's what's happening. The Jewish high priest goes into the most holy place every year with the blood of an animal. But Christ did not go, go in to offer himself many times. But then he would have to suffer many times ever mm -mm. since the creation of the world. Instead, now, when all ages of time are nearer to an end, and that's something amazing to me, he has appeared once and for all to remove sin through the sacrifice of himself. Everyone must die once, and after that, be judged. I encourage you to die now. I encourage you to die now and live later. In the same manner, Christ was also offered in sacrifice once to take away the sin of many, he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are waiting for them. So I go back and I close with this. This is David. David is sitting in that temple. He has said it's hard to build something for God. And God said, you can't do it. It's too much war down here. But I'm going to give you descendants. And my promises to you will not fail. 
And David is sitting there and he says, how great you are, sovereign Lord. There is none like you. We have always known that you alone are God, right? And now, sovereign Lord, you are. And now, sovereign Lord, you are God. You always keep your promises you have made. This wonderful promise to me. I ask you to bless my descendants so that they will continue to enjoy your favor. You, sovereign Lord, has promised this and your blessings will rest on my descendants forever. If y'all remember the first scripture I read, David says, I have the courage to pray this prayer. We as Christians need to start having the courage to pray (laughs) prayers to God, knowing that they will not fail when we have set our heart to do something. When you set your, as a Christian, when you set your heart to do something for God, you got to know that it's going to come to pass. Whatever it is, we set out to do one thing when God has planned to do something great. Right? So I took you through that whole long journey to let you know that a lot of times, you know, you thinking you're doing something for one reason when God got a greater plan for you that you can't even imagine. Right? You thinking, okay, I'm just going to go to church and see what it's going to be about. And God just sitting up there looking like she don't even know that the day her day. She don't even know that I'm about to open up. She, they don't even know that I'm getting ready to pull out this blessing. She don't even know that I'm getting ready to open her womb. She don't like. He just looking down there. He's shaking his head at us like they don't even know. Oh, they, she thought it was about this. She don't even realize that it's really about this. And whatever that is, it's something greater than what you can think or imagine. Only thing God is asking us to do is take the first step. It's just to get that first block, which is just set your heart. If you don't do anything else today, just set your heart to do something for God. Amen. This what if this I'm gonna make up today, I'm gonna make up my mind, and I'm gonna do something for Jesus. Right? I'm gonna make up my mind and I'm gonna do something for Jesus. Not for myself, not what I think I want to do, but I'm gonna do what he wants me to do. And watch what happens. And watch what happens. Amen. 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 Y'all come on and give the Lord a hand for his word. Hallelujah. 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 And like I say, I know that will meet this Sunday, y'all. Jesus. That was me. Amen. Oh, Jesus.